Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling. Oh, man, Luke, the Bucks. They played a poor, embarrassing football game for their talent level. You know, they're too good to play this badly. And honestly, for the second straight week, they played really bad against the Giants, too. I don't even know where to begin, but I just I still can't believe the score. 38-3, to 31 nothing at half. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say is that it was 38-3, to 3, but, man, it should have and could have been a whole lot worse, right? You're 31 to nothing at halftime. Yeah. I mean, the Saints definitely called the dogs off there. And, and you know, it's it's one thing to go into the half down a few scores and, and playing badly and be able to be confident that you can make some adjustments. But when you don't score in the third quarter <laughs> after still being down and you, you need a field goal at the end, it's like a, a merciful we're not going to get shut out moment. I mean, good Lord, man. It was it was embarrassing from top to bottom. Like I've said, you know, they've had three primetime games this year. They've looked terrible every single time. They should have still beat the Bears and managed to tank that one away in, in key moments. They sh- should not have really beat the Giants. They only did so because the Giants are terrible and Daniel Jones is not a very good quarterback. We talked about that last week. And Drew Brees is not going to make the mistakes that Daniel Jones does. He's going to continue uh, to pick you apart if you let him and you just can't make mistakes against a team like that. Brady has, what, seven interceptions this year? Five of them against the Saints now in two games? Crazy stat. Crazy stat. There's so many things that went wrong, man. And and from execution to game planning, the Bucs just absolutely were not ready. They were outclassed, outcoached, outplayed, and they continue to do that on the national stage, which is just really disappointing and embarrassing if you're a Bucks fan. You finally get all these primetime games and a chance to show up in, in big moments when everybody's watching and you continue to play like that like Mike Smith is still running your defense yeah. and uh you know Dirk Cutter still running the show there. It's it's it was frustrating to watch, man. I do want to get into Bowles a little bit later. I want to get your take on his game plan and what he was doing out there and the adjustments he was not making. But you know, I've talked a little bit about growing up living in New Hampshire all my life, watching a lot of Tom Brady. You know the one thing that you always appreciate when Tom Brady's your quarterback Luke is that you never get blown out you just don't no matter how poorly the game's going no matter how bad the offense or the defense is playing you have Tom Brady the other team is not going to run away from you you always know that you're going to have a chance and to see I mean this was his worst this was his worst loss ever in his entire career of his whole Hall of Fame career he's never lost like this he's never gone three and out four straight drives to start a game he's never been down 31 to nothing at halftime you know he's never gotten blown out in a game like this as a starting quarterback for a team I don't know how Bucks fans are feeling but I still can't I can't wrap my head around how Tom Brady with Godwin Mike Evans AB all of them out there Rob Gronkowski Leonard Fournette how we're talking about a 38 to 3 loss and like you said them kicking the field goal in the fourth quarter just to avoid the shutout like you'd see in maybe like a high school game right like man it's it's just so mind-numbing yeah it is and there's a lot of blame to go around but i mean this was not a matter of everybody else failing tom brady tom brady played a terrible football game 100 yeah it's on him if you look at the film man i mean he missed some really bad looks. I mean, he had one early in the, I think it was the second quarter before things really got out of hand where he caught the snap immediately looked to the right for the, for like a quick out route. And he had Mike Evans 
in the slot who had run a quick little double move on on the safety that had come down kind of into the box there and he just went streaking down the down the hash wide open the safety was on the other third of the field and he would have walked into the end zone for about a 50 or 60 yard touchdown and brady just never even looked and there was another play it was a third and five or six i think where brady had a, a couple of crossers coming over the middle and godwin was underneath you know short of the the sticks and was covered, and he had Evans running a very similar route at about 8 to 10 yards further than that, and he was streaking wide open. His guy was 3 or 4 yards behind him. He goes to Godwin underneath. Godwin doesn't make the catch because he's covered, and he was short of the line to gain anyway. I just don't know. Brady just didn't see the game very well, man. He had that deep pass that he kind of heaved at the end where he had both A.B. and Gronk kind of open and behind the defenders, and they, he overthrew them both. That would have been a touchdown. It just it was contagious, man. It felt like from the moment they got off the bus, they had the wrong game plan on both sides of the ball. They did didn't execute the wrong game plan very well either <laughs> right, yeah. uh, and didn't make the plays that were even there to make when when things opened up and again man i mean they they were even with the kneel down at the end they ran the ball five times all night because they got bound so early so yeah, badly and crazy. that's the, the fewest carries of any team in the history of the nfl i mean yeah. it, it was just embarrassing this is one of those where you gotta you gotta watch the film once take what you can throw the rest in the garbage light it on fire and, and move on to the next game because there's very little that can help you uh from what happened on on sunday night it was ugly that's crazy the bucks were five and two coming into this ball game they would have been the number one seed man if they win that game they're the number one seed in the nfc and now you're yes. looking at them like how in the world is this team in that conversation at all and now who's the number one seed the freaking saints the freaking saints are back they haven't looked like themselves all year and all of a sudden there they are at the top of the freaking nfc well it tells you it tells you about the the balance of the conferences yeah. i just finished posting the updated draft order after week nine for draft wire and i think the top four teams are all in the afc i think you got to get to pick 28 or 27 before you get to the saints in the nfc you know it's just it's really hard to peg who's going to be coming out of there and it's honestly it's good for the bucks right i mean you, it gives them a shot but when you're already been swept by the saints and i don't know if you saw this but i tweeted this out earlier the only thing that, that bucks fans can take from that game is that the last time this team was six and two it was 2002, the year they won the Super Bowl, and they got swept by the Saints that year, too. So two of those four losses they had that year were also against the Saints. Now, they were much closer losses. They were much different teams with a, a different defense, obviously one of the greatest to ever play the game, in my opinion. But hey, it's something, right? You're looking for something? That's all I got, Bucks fans. That's, uh, that's all I got. I love it, Luke, the eternal optimist. I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, look, they're not dead. They're not done yet. They're 5-3. and three. They're going to make the playoffs. You look at even the teams that are outside of the play- the Bears, the 49ers, the Vikings, the Lions. I mean, these teams that are there's no way they're gonna get knocked out of the playoff hunt there's so many things i want to get to the game including how brady spread out his targets and how ab kind of worked into this formula i want to talk about that whole thing with luke we'll do that coming up next fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends sit him start him these are the fantasy picks of the week it will kill me if this game ends in a tie i need this win this game's pretty much done with Corey bonini from the huddle.com I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to talk to you about strong plays for Week 10 of the fantasy football season. This one might be a no-brainer, but coming off of his bye, Jared Goff versus the Seattle Seahawks. Just about everybody is a must-start against Seattle's defense. Even if you remove five rushing touchdowns against Seattle by quarterbacks, no team has given up more than the 372.5 yards per game allowed by this team. The blueprint is clear on how to beat Seattle. Pass and pass a lot. Washington running back J.D. McKissick goes to the Detroit Lions, his former employer 
player from the 2019 season. He knows the defense well and has practiced against it extensively. McKissick benefits from Alex Smith taking over for Kyle Allen as the quarterback in Washington. It's no fluke that he played so well in the last couple games, and he faces a defense that has given up the most yards per game to the position via the pass. Look for another double-digit day in PPR scoring for McKissick. Going back to the Seattle-Los Angeles matchup, David Moore of the Seahawks, it's hard to get away from him. The level of defensive scrutiny paid towards DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett has more finding the end zone with surprising regularity. He has scored consecutive games and has four touchdowns in the last five outings. The only problem is when he's bad, he's so bad that he shouldn't even be anywhere near a fantasy lineup. That said, with all of the attention paid to the star receivers around him, Moore is worth playing in fantasy football action in Week 10. Another guy with an inconsistent target share is Titan Trey Burton of the Indianapolis Colts. He faces the Tennessee Titans, a defense that's given a five touchdowns to the position in eight games, including two over the last four weeks. In the recent window, three guys have posted at least 11 PPR points, and all three of those guys had six pass receptions. Even if he doesn't find the end zone, there's a pretty good chance that he's relevant in fantasy. Gamers could do worse, especially if they've lost somebody like Zach Ertz or George Kittle to injury. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. So, Luke, as you mentioned, the Bucks ran the ball five times in, in the whole game, five times. So that, uh, and they only threw it 38. You'd think, like, Brady would have 60 pass attempts. So they only passed it 38 times because they, they just didn't get enough first downs to uh, have plays in the ball game. But the targets were very interesting, and this is something that I really wanted to pay attention to anyway. Six for Mike Evans, six for Chris Godwin, six for Gronk, five for AB. So very, very, very spread out, right? And here's where I'm at. I love Chris Godwin. He's everything I want in a receiver. I really do. I, he's tough. He goes over the middle. I just love Chris Godwin. You know that. Antonio Brown, I think, is an amazing talent. I love Gronk, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But Mike Evans is your best receiver. It's not even close when you watch the games. <laughs> he's your best guy, and he's not getting targeted enough. I just thought it was a terrible look. Brady lobbying to get A.B. in there, playing GM, having A.B. bunk with him at his own house in the, in the Jeter mansion, you know, giving, giving A.B. a roof and living with A.B., and then coming out and playing the worst game of his career. Uh, in the in the first spot with AB on the field, I just thought that was a terrible look for Brady and the Bucks, and I don't love that everything is kind of even Stevens across the board. Like Mike Evans is, is your number one receiver. You got to find ways to get him the ball. It doesn't matter if you spread things out if it works, right? Sure. Drew Brees yeah. did yeah. the exact same thing, but it worked. Right. He found those receivers. He scored different touchdowns to everybody. Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas did nothing. And those Saints destroyed the Bucks. So, like, that should tell you everything about what how it happens when that can work well. Because if the game dictates where the ball goes and you find the open guy, you can still be successful. Problem for the Bucks is that that's not what happened. It, you know, I thought even when he was going to certain guys, he was forcing it. And and honestly, man, it's really hard not to feel like in the back of my mind that all of the the time and effort spent, quote unquote, getting AB up to speed this week really distracted from the actual preparation for this game. Am to, I, right? I mean, am I, am I wrong for thinking no, that right? No, that all the effort not. you're putting into making sure this guy gets up to speed. Maybe you should just be focusing on the fact that, I don't know, you already have two pro bowl wide receivers in the hall of fame tight end. And maybe you should just keep doing what's working instead of trying to babysit this guy in more ways than one. Right. So I don't know, man, it's, you're right. It's a terrible look. It is, it is a bad look. I mean, the play calling, they got first and goal at the two after a, a pass interference call. They threw the ball three times the old in four fade plays the and old got fade zero route, points, man. Like, you cannot do that. And again, it all comes back to, you know, you can make all the memes and jokes you want about AB, you know, being a franchise killer in the locker room. It wasn't even about that. I think they just spent too much time trying to make sure he could have an impact that they forgot 
it's a team sport, and they looked absolutely terrible. I didn't like in the third quarter. I think Brown finally caught a nice ball, like a 15-yard gain first down. Does a little uh, little first down celebration, you know, a little point. Yeah, and it's when like it 31 was 31 to nothing. Yeah, it's like, it's like, God, this guy does not get it, you know? And this is, like we've said, this is what you do when you bring him in. But I want to get to Todd Bowles. I know, Luke, you were very critical on Twitter. You didn't like that the Saints were able to just continue doing what, you, like you said, if the Bucks' plan was to take away Michael Thomas and, and Alvin Kamara, great job. Great job, Bulls. But you didn't take away anything else. And the Saints just kept doing it over and over. And it was one of those things like, when are you going to adjust? When are you gonna, like, where's the adjustment coming? Never came, right? It didn't, man. And it was so disappointing, when you, especially when you contrast it. And this is something I'm writing for Buckswire right as we speak. So it'll be up you know, by the time the show is up. I'm breaking down the fact that everything that Todd Bowles did right in the Green Bay game, you go down 10 nothing early. Your team has punted twice. The other team has scored twice. It's early in the second quarter. And the, the whole dynamic of the game changed, right? They made it, it. They made not even halftime adjustments. They made them on the sidelines. And they completely flipped everything. They started blitzing more. They got more complex with their looks. They were covering differently. And the Packers never scored again. They blew them out. They scored the next 38 points, and the Bucks won. This game was the complete opposite of that. Not only did the Bucks come out with a horrendous game plan defensively, which Bruce Arians admitted to after the game. Yeah. He told us after the game, he said, yeah, the plan was to go out and play a bunch of zone and, and let the front four get home. Your front four can't get home right now, Bruce. You don't have Vita Vea in the middle. You don't have that guy who's going to collapse the pocket from the inside and allow the quarterback to just step up and move into the pocket when JPP and Shaq Barrett are closing around the edge. That guy's not there anymore. So to go into this game in particular against a quarterback who is 41 and can't throw the deep ball anymore, everything they said about Brady in the, in the offseason is actually true about Drew Brees. Yep. He is the one who can't push the ball down the field. His number one receiver is Michael Thomas, who is not a threat to take the top off the defense whatsoever. He's not going to beat you deep. So what do they do? They play off cover three all day. They have their outside corners playing 8 to 10 yards off every snap, and literally Drew Brees is just playing catch with his wide receivers, getting 8, 10 yards at a time. Again, if that if that happens for the first quarter, and it's working, and you get it, okay, fine. But to not come out and change things, to not come out and realize, wow, you know, we've spent all these draft picks on big, physical, long-armed corners who excel at press man coverage. Let's have them not play press man coverage all night, especially against a team who doesn't throw the ball deep. I don't get it, man. They played four quarters of the same exact defense over and over and over and over again, and Drew Brees had to be laughing his ass off <laughs> inside. I compare it to what the, the Dodgers did when the Rays took Blake Snell out of game six. Oh, yeah. God, don't. Yeah. Yeah, it was that painful. same exact, that like, are they really going to do this? Are yeah. they going to take out this pitcher that we can't hit all night and, and make this easy for us? It's a great point. And that's, that's exactly what Todd Bowles did. And Drew Reeves has to be over there like, is he literally just going to let me play pitch and catch with these guys all night long? I guess out, he is. You're outsmarting yourself, right, Luke? That's what it was. You're outsmarting yourself by taking Snell out and being like, oh, this is the analytics say we, we can't let him go through the third time through the lineup, whatever it is. Right. Like, yeah, that's what it is. You're, you stay in that zone because, nope, this is the plan. This is what we think is going to work. And you're outsmarting yourself. And I think like Bruce, gotta you gotta look at Bruce Arians. He approved that plan. It's his team that's not ready to go in these big moments. You gotta start looking at him and being like, "Yo, man, you gotta you gotta step it up." You got all the talent in the world. They should not look this bad. It is absolutely true, man. And that's again, the Bucks will not be the first team nor the last to win the off season and have all this attention. And, and again, not just win the off season. They've had lots of success this season. They haven't lost two games in a row yet, which is huge. And, and they'll get a chance to test that this week against Carolina. But this team is way too talented to go out on national television at home with a November game that matters, something that has not happened in Tampa Bay in a long time. Right. 
and lay that kind of egg against the division rival, man. You just, there's so many things that went wrong, but at a very base level, you got to have more pride than that. You have got to have more preparation. There's so many veterans on this team. Yeah, you'll talk about the young secondary. Yeah, you can point out that maybe Ali Marpet's the most valuable player on this team because that's the first time he's been out of the lineup. And man, that offensive line looked bad. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, you know, very bad. There's no excuse to be this talented and to look as bad as they did. And especially again, with everything that was on the line, honestly, when you look at it, it just comes down to the fact that the saints have had so much continuity from Sean Payton on down with their core players, with their scheme, their philosophy about how they play football and how they do things in that franchise. And it just proves how you just can't replicate that in one off season, even a couple of years under the same regime. Like you cannot replicate that kind of constant, reliable success. There's a reason that team has won this division three years in a row and the Bucks haven't won it in a long time and that's why you can't replicate that kind of continuity and that's that's why things look so lopsided the other night oh absolutely You're, you know, the bucks are futzing around with ab and the saints are just doing what they do you know and that's that's what it is okay so uh, i joked about luke being an optimist early on and, and there's still plenty to feel good about if you're the bucks i mean i think you're still firmly in the playoff picture and if they end up in this number five spot luke which you know it's probably they're probably now favored to end up in this number five seed uh assuming they don't catch the saints now it's gonna be really hard to catch Saints. I don't think I hate that spot too bad. I, I don't think I hate the Bucks at this number five spot. Let's talk about that. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark, as always, to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 10 Monday Night Football game between the Minnesota Vikings and Chicago Bears. The Vikings are two-and-a-half-point road favorites, minus 115 odds. Bears, minus 106 to cover, plus 2.5 at home. Over-under of 44-and-a-half, minus 110 odds on either side of that. Jeff, Vikings coming off a couple of great performances. Are they back on track? And the Chicago Bears, can they bounce back from an ugly loss against the Tennessee Titans last week? Oh, I think they're going to bounce back. This is a great spot for the Bears getting points at home. Kirk Cousins is 0-3 straight up and against the spread versus Chicago since joining the Minnesota Vikings. And they've done a really good job bottling up Dalvin Cook. He's played against the Bears uh, in three games. He's got 47 touches with 140 total yards and one touchdown in those three games. And Kirk Cousins, we all know how he struggles in Monday Night Football. Um, he's got an 0-9 record in Monday Night Football. Give me the Bears plus points. I'm on the Vikings. They're back to 3-5 and five on the year. A couple of big divisional wins against Green Bay Packers and Detroit Lions last two weeks. They make it three in a row. Dalvin Cook is right there in the MVP race. Vikings minus two and a half. They win by three. Subscribe to Bet Slippin' Podcast on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. So the Bucks are in this number five spot, right? They're five and three. They're kind of in this little cluster with the Cardinals and the Rams, who are also five and three. You got the Bears on the outside of five and four, but they're kind of dropping into oblivion. Nick Foles and the Bears. God, get out of here. We don't want to talk about them. But we talked about this before. We did. They were the, they were the ugliest, worst oh. five and one team oh. we'd ever seen, and oh, now yeah. they're five and four. In our in our in our Bears Wire podcast, I we were taught we had we played sound about Matt Nagy back when they were five and two, and he was talking about the cushion. 
Oh, we have this cushion. It's up to us to to do something with it. We have a nice cushion. <laughs> the cushion has faded away into womp, oblivion. Womp. Yeah, the cushion's gone. The cushion has deflated. So the Bucks are in this five spot, which you end up going on the road to play the four seed, right? In the first round. Play which this. is the NFC yeah, East. Let's do this. So so if you end up in the five spot, Luke. You're going to play whoever wins the NFC East, exactly, which is going to be a sub-500 crap football team. Eagles, likely, maybe even the Giants, who knows. I think the Giants actually have a path if they can beat the Eagles this week, but that's a whole other story for another podcast and another fan base to ponder over. But I actually don't hate this spot. Like, the Bucks in the five spot, that's where they might end up if they take care of their business. If they end up there, they get a road game, but it's a winnable road game that they're going to be favored to win. And then you kind of hope there's an upset and maybe you don't have to go play that number one seed. Maybe you go play a team that you're, you know, you match up decent against. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe you could potentially avoid that number one seed because they reseed in the second round, right? So maybe the five spot, not such a bad place to be. So all hope is not lost here. Even though it felt that way with that blowout loss, I mean, they're not done. They're still going to be a playoff team, and I still think they have a good chance to advance and compete. But what do you think about that? Being in that five spot, That's it could be worse. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think that's the, the spot you want to be in. The NFC East right now has three of the top five picks in next year's draft <laughs> if everything ended today. So uh, and the other team, who is barely ahead of those three, We'll end up having a home playoff game, which is just another rant that I'm, I've gone on before uh, on Twitter about how cool. stupid that is. Yeah, we, we can we can um, do that. We can do that later on. But man, uh, you know, but it could benefit the Bucks if they end up in that five seed. I, I think again, it's all about taking care of business. You got a couple of difficult games coming up against uh, the Rams uh, again on Monday night game. You're going to have to prove you can you can play under the bright lights against a good team. Not loving that play, spot right now. As it stands, yeah, you, know, you got to play Kansas City as well. But other than that, man, the rest of that schedule is is pretty winnable. They still get to play Atlanta twice. Yep. You got Carolina this week, which is very winnable. You've got Detroit and Minnesota is t- are two of those last four games down the stretch there. So definitely a team that could finish strong. And if they're able to steal one of those games, again, the Chiefs have lost to the Raiders, who the Bucks beat handily. The Chiefs have played close games against teams like the Panthers, who the Bucks have already beat and could beat again this week. So anything can happen. I think if the Bucks are able to steal one of those games against either the Chiefs or the Rams, obviously the Rams being more likely. And if they take care of business against those, those four teams down the stretch i really see that five seed as as their spot and again that would mean going to play at philly or at the giants hopefully they would play better than they played against the giants last (laughs) time but uh yeah it's you know it's if you're gonna if you're not gonna be that one or two especially that one seed if you know if they would have won sunday that's where they would be right now i don't think they would have stayed there obviously but you know maybe you do end up i think they they match up obviously not as favorably with the saints but the seahawks i I think that a team like the seahawks could get in a shootout with them but man their defense can't stop anybody They can't get after the passer. They have no coverage. Jamal Adams is a great player, but he can't do everything by himself. And I think that if the Bucs were able to to go to Philly or go to the Giants and and win that first round game and they end up playing against a team like the Seahawks, it could be a fun, entertaining game. But I think the Bucs are a much more balanced team than Seattle, and that might favor them, even if the Seahawks end up as the one seed. Now that I'm thinking about it, Luke, you know it. The Bucs will end up playing the Eagles. It'll be some like six o'clock start on like a Saturday and they're going to have to play in Philly. And we're just, we're, we're going to be talking on the podcast the next day. Like, boy, that wasn't fun. That was, that was brutal. Even if they win, it's gonna be like, man, that was an ugly game. <laughs> you know, this is what we're, this is where we're at with the bucks. It'll definitely bring back uh bucks at Eagles playoff memories, both good <laughs> and ill from my childhood. Uh, so bring, bring your sleeves fellas. Yeah, Dress man, warm. Hey, hey, at least they're interesting though. There's plenty to talk about with this team and there'll be plenty to talk about going forward for the rest of the season. So bucks at Panthers, it's a get right spot. I think I like the Bucks to to get right in this game. There's no way they're going to play this bad. There's just no way. I don't see it. So, Luke, enjoy it, man. All right? Have a great week. Hey, you too, Ryan. Thanks. 
This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.